0: Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. Today is our one-year-old birthday party. I can't believe it. We worked so hard to get here. And um, I don't know if you've ever been to a one-year-old's birthday, but normally (laughs) they get this little cake all to themselves. And it's called the smash cake because they just get to stick their whole face in it. So at the end of the service today, we're going to pass out for each of you. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Because we don't want to play the cleaning fee. We're continuing in our message series called Life Core, where we're going through the five core values of Spring of Life Church. And we just feel like if a church exists, it should exist for a purpose, it should exist for a reason. And we have five core reasons uh, why we do the things that we do. And we're so excited to explore them together. And today, I can't wait to talk about the core value of restoration. The core value of restoration. Uh, If you have a Bible with you and you'd like to join us as we study, we're going to be in the book of 1 John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a free one on your way out, but you can also put it on your phone or just take a look and follow along the screen so nobody is left out. Today is all about restoration. I got my vehicle that I currently drive brand new back in 2002. And since then, we've seen a lot of life together. It's a Toyota 4Runner, and her name is Victoria. Thank you very much. Now, Victoria's paint these days sparkles a little less than it used to. It used to be a nice, gorgeous silver, and now it's sort of just like a flat gray. Um, I have to unlock the door from the passenger side because the driver's side door doesn't work anymore. Uh, The radio is a little bit fuzzy because someone broke the antenna off. Uh, there is a dent in the front hood of my vehicle because in college, um, this guy got mad at me and he hit the hood with a hammer and I said, Victoria's keeping that as a battle scar Um, Victoria and I have been on cross-country road trips together Um, we've taken girls on dates together we have uh, driven across the entire country together and Victoria has never let me down until a month ago I was on the way to an early breakfast meeting across town. I was right on the highway, and as I'm driving down the hill, suddenly the gas pedal stopped working. Better than the brakes, I'll give you, but the gas pedal stopped working, and I used all of the might. Luckily, we were going downhill. She did me that favor, and we coasted to the shoulder of the road, and for a moment, as I put Victoria into park, I thought, this is it. This is Victoria's old yeller moment. I'm thinking about <laughs> walking away, just walking away and forgetting we knew each other. And then, immediately I thought better. Victoria's not finished yet. I called the tow truck. The guy came and picked me up, dropped me off. And Victoria, it turns out, just like a dad who discovers a new all-you-can-eat buffet, she needed the same as him, a few new belts, that's it. And she was back to normal. And it was just a great reminder, it was just a great reminder that restoration is beautiful. Restoration is beautiful. Now, that story is incomplete because Victoria is still a little rusty and not all the way back to her original condition. And at the heart of the matter, that's what restoration really is. Restoration is not about making something functional again. It's not about returning something to decent. Restoration at the very heart is this gorgeous picture of returning things to fullness. I have a friend that restores uh, Fords from the 1930s, and when he's finished with them, these vehicles look better than before. And today, we are going to talk about God's vision for your life and God's vision for this city, and it is wrapped up in this beautiful idea of restoration. Today, we're going to look to the scriptures, and I can't wait to study this together. And I think I told you First John, but we're actually going to be in First Peter. So, sorry, we're restoring this message to where it should be anyway. 1 Peter chapter 5. Take a look with me as the Bible says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Would you join me in prayer for just a moment? God, thanks for this word. Thank you for the people that have gathered here today. God, I don't know why people think they're here. Maybe it's for a one-year-old birthday party of a church. Maybe this is where we go every week. Or maybe it's just a brand new experience. But I believe that you have a purpose and a plan for this moment. And I pray that you, by your spirit, would show up in a beautiful way. I pray that you would touch our hearts and teach us what we need to know. This time is yours. It's in God's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Restoration equals a return to fullness. And I wonder what that could look like for our lives. What could that look like for your life? The world is filled with so much pain and so much brokenness. Isn't it beautiful to know that there is a God who sees something better? There's a couple of things that we notice in this passage today that I'd love to point out to you. And we'll sort of try to understand them. And the first is this. Brokenness is the weapon of the enemy of God. Brokenness is the weapon of the enemy of God. We saw that right in the passage in 1 Peter The Bible talks about an adversary or an enemy. And maybe you walked in here today and you sort of know what it feels like to have an enemy. You know what it feels like to have someone who's undermining you at every turn. Maybe it's in a workplace. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone that you've tried to lose contact with, but it's really difficult to outrun their influence. The Bible says if you've ever felt that way deep inside, it's because there is an enemy. And he has an agenda for your life. And it is to steal, to kill, and destroy. The Bible paints this picture that he's like a roaring lion. A couple of years ago, I read a great novel that they made into a film called The Life of Pi. And it was a story about how a young boy was shipwrecked and he found himself in a lifeboat with some interesting creatures, one of them including a tiger. It paints this ferocious picture of what it feels like to be trapped with a beast that could end your life at any moment, to feel their hunger in a visceral sense. And the Bible is using that exact same image. For a character the Bible calls the devil... He's our enemy, and brokenness is his weapon. I have people ask me the question all the time, if God is so good, then where does all this suffering come from? And to be honest, I think it's a fair question. I think it's a fair question. This Bible, this verse, would argue that brokenness, that pain, it's the weapon of the enemy of God. The Bible said it was always God's plan for you to live a life of fullness. God made you so that he could know you, to love you, to fill your life with joy, inexpressible and good. And yet, there was this grand temptation to live life that was godly but without God. To have the goodness of God without the presence of God. And because of that, rebellion and sin entered the picture The Bible goes on to teach us that sin is not a neutral thing. It's not a set of behaviors that we do or don't do. It's not just falling short of some religious standard. No, sin is much deeper than that. It's very much like a disease that has symptoms, brings along brokenness and despair. Maybe we've seen that in our own lives. Maybe I've paid the consequences for my own sin, but so often, doesn't it seem like we're paying the consequences of other people's sin as well? As we look around at a broken world where broken people do broken things. If we are not careful, we are tempted to believe the lie of the enemy that says this is what God wants for you. This is what he's left you in. Nothing could be further from the truth. There's gorgeous, gorgeous truth in the scripture. And the truth, I found, is so very, very powerful. Have you ever heard one set of facts that could change your whole perspective about a situation? A couple of years ago, I was in college. I was an RA on my hall, which means I had to make sure all the light bulbs were changed and people were in on time and everything was taken care of. And one night in the middle of the night, I get a knock on my door and I open it up and it's the, pre- the people you always want to see at your door after midnight. It was the police. I was like, uh, hello, officer. I think I did not park illegally tonight. <laughs> How did you find me? Um, but they said, we're here to talk to you about one of your students. They came into my room, and they began to just outline, like lay out what they th- what they were claiming this guy had done. And the guy they were talking about is a freshman that I had worked really hard to recruit to my hall. So I had a ton of affection for him. I believed in him. And so I just started to interrupt the police, which is Always a great idea. And I was like, Excuse me, excuse me, officer, that is not the case. You've got the wrong guy. This guy would never do something like that. In fact, I would lay my reputation on the line, take me to jail. And uh, by that time, the guy had made his way into my room. And um, he said, Officers, could I just have one minute alone with my RA? And I'm like, Good, he's gonna give me the ammunition I need, he's gonna give me that alibi. And they walk out of the room, and he's like, I did it. And I was like, oh, great. One piece of truth changes your whole perspective. I want to show you some truth about who the guilty party is in this world, who the perpetrator of brokenness really is. I'll tell you, it's the enemy because God hates your pain. God hates your pain. Just like you hate your pain, God hates your pain. The glorious thing is because he's bigger than our pain, because he's bigger than our circumstances. He might have a plan to use it for our good, what Satan meant for evil. Maybe God means for good, but God hates the fact that you experience pain. In fact, we see in Psalm 34, 18, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Because we have a core value of restoration, one of the ministries of our church is a website we've just launched this past week. It's our soft launch, so we'll tell you about it. It's called someonehearsyou.com someonehearsyou.com, and each week we go out into our community in Portland, and we just listen to stories to people who live outdoors, who are houseless in that community, and we believe that in that moment of just hearing someone and hearing a story from a different perspective, we can give dignity in the moment. We can learn more than we thought we could learn, and it's shaping us, but what we're trying to model in that moment is that God comes close to those people who need him most, You don't have to live outdoors to know sorrow and suffering. In fact, I've talked to some people with everything this world thinks is meaningful in life. Lots of money, big houses, lots of influence. And they're deeply miserable. Even in those moments, God hates the pain. Not only that, do we see that God hates your pain, we see that God feels your pain. That's such a crazy idea. Are you telling me that the inventor of DNA, the one who spun the cosmos into being, the one who shapes every molecule of life. You're telling me that that grand being would know how we feel? That's exactly what the scripture teaches in Hebrews 4.15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. God never stopped loving you. God never stopped wanting you. And if you feel pain, he feels it too. But the story isn't over yet because God absorbed your pain. And this is the glory of the gospel. People ask me all the time, why is Christianity different? One of our slogans that we say when we invite people to church is no religion, just Jesus. What are we trying to say in that moment? We're trying to point out this idea that religion, I mean, it invokes this feeling of obligation that I've got to do good to impress God. I've got to somehow let my actions and my assimilation to this new set of behavior somehow please this distant, angry deity. And yet the gospel paints a glorious, more true, more fulfilling, more hopeful story. It's so good that I just want everybody to know it. I want everybody to know it. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 53. It's talking about Jesus. And by the way, This was written 700 years before Jesus ever stepped foot on planet earth. But what Christ came to do for you was prophesied. It was always part of God's plan. And this is what the Bible prophesied about him that came to pass. Isaiah 53.3. It says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. And we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care, yet it was Our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. And that's the glory of Jesus. That's the promise like no other See, the reason that we sometimes feel guilty and broken over the things in our lives, over our past, over our mistakes, is because there's a little bit of truth to that. The Bible says the price and payment of sin is death. It's like inviting this fatal disease into your life, and it's got all kinds of symptoms. It's always playing itself out. And that's why we feel hopeless, because we're hopeless, except while we are still sinners. When we were at our worst, when we were at our least redeemed, Jesus came for us. See, a price for our sins had to be paid, and that's why Jesus went to the cross. It wasn't just to set a good example of sacrifice, though it did. It wasn't just to show this amazing picture of love, which it did. Jesus went to the cross because a price had to be paid, and because he was the only one, the only one. ...who never sinned. In fact, he went beyond never sinning. If he found a sick person, he made them well. If he found a hopeless person, he gave them hope. Once he found a deceased young girl, and in that moment, he gave her life. And in that, we see Jesus never came to make bad people just a little bit better. Jesus only came to raise dead people to life. And that's the gospel. And that's restoration. And because God has absorbed your pain, one day he will finally end your pain. That's the hope. That's the promise. It's what generations of people have sung about for decades. It's what people who, under adverse circumstances around the globe, are living for. They have believed deeply in this concept that God will return us to fullness. And there's so, so much beauty in that. There's a second thing that we see, another big idea, and that's God always sees the future he intended for you. He always sees the future that he intended for you. Restoration, a return to fullness. The Bible really teaches that we are all born as a paradox. Two ideas always clashing. We were born in the image of God. I heard a scientist this week discussing sentience, He calls himself an ape who became sentient through a random fluke of chance. The Bible would say it was not random. It wasn't a fluke. Sentience, the ability to know and think and reason was a gift of God. Because we are born in his image to be relational with God. It's this glorious set of circumstances that sets us apart from anything else in creation. So we are born in the image of God, but because of our sin, we're born an enemy of God. And that's what restoration means. Resolving that tension. Completing that scenario. Eliminating that paradox. That in Christ, we become in the image of God. We become friends of God. To know God. I think some of us get afraid of this idea of restoration. Because the first part I just discussed to you, we're all on board with pretty much. At least in theory. Born broken, be healed. Okay. Born hopeless, find hope. Okay. But there becomes this moment of distrust where we all get caught. And so I want to talk about that for just a few moments. I think there's some of us that are afraid that if we go forward and trust God for restoration, we're going to get a botched job. A couple of years ago, an 81-year-old woman in Spain in a sanctuary decided that she was going to restore Um, An ancient painting of Jesus. And let's look at the results. This was the original. This is what she found. And this is what we end up with. Started as Jesus, wound up as Picasso. (laughs) I think so many of us are afraid that if we give God our lives, something misshapen or strange or unfamiliar is what we're going to find on the other side. But in doing so, here's what we really do. Our vision of Jesus is so much less who he really is. And we create this botched version of Jesus in our own hearts. Can I tell you this? When we allow Jesus to be who he really is, he will make us who he always meant us to be. That's the glory of restoration. We see the vision of God for our lives in the garden. In the Garden of Eden where God said, you're my people. I give you myself. Reign with me, rule this world with me, and let's multiply. We see this beautiful vision of God, of beauty, purpose, and intimacy. And because of sin, that vision was broken, but never, never, never forgotten. People from different religions and Uh, places on the political spectrum, there's one thing that most people can agree on. And that is, we love to watch Chip and Joanna Gaines on HGTV. There's a healing aspect. And so I think, um, I just got some photos, because I had fun today looking at restoration. And we're going to make a point with it. So you guys want to see a couple before meets after moments? Okay, so we have this old, gross house with all kinds of junk. And then after they got their hands on it, it looked like this. Ooh, beautiful. Okay, let's take a look at the next one. This one, I actually saw this episode. It was an old country house that was filled with critters, like living organisms, had taken over out of neglect. And when they got finished, it looked like this. Restoration. A return to fullness, better than it ever looked before. And then, this next photo, uh, it's just... Um, my walls in my last rental were this color and we moved. That was like the best thing was just moving away from that yellow color. But when Chip and Joanna Gaines got done with this room, it looked like this. So pretty. There you go. And there's just something great about watching something returned to its original intention. But this paints another picture of why we can trust the restoration of God. Because the Bible teaches when you believe in Jesus, you don't just get good. You get God. He comes to dwell inside of you. He comes to live inside of you. He makes his home within you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? The Queen of England is embarking on a restoration project of Buckingham Palace. It's going to cost, I think, half a billion dollars and take ten years. Why? Because royalty doesn't want to live in junk. The king of the universe, when he takes residence up inside of you, he begins restoration for your good and his glory. And you can trust that. You can trust that if you walk with that. God is the source of life, the spring of everything good. And to know him is to know the fullness of joy, his mystery, and his love. I want to teach you about a word today that penetrates through every bit of darkness that gives us a light in every cloud of pain. And the word is this, it's hope. Hope. Hope is seeing your future the way God sees your future. Because restoration, even if it's Chip and Joanna Gaines, you know what it always begins with? A vision, a belief that the future can be better. It's a powerful belief that gives way to reality. Restoration always begins with vision to believe God and to believe that the liar is a liar. There's a third thing that we see. The third thing that we see, sometimes the hardest thing to trust, but it's the linchpin that changes everything. God is willing and able to bring you back to fullness. Sometimes we struggle with believing that God is willing. God, if you're so big, would you really want me? God, if you're so big and so mighty, you, you surely don't know the things I've done. And yet we see time and time and time again that no one has ever been too broken for God. No one has ever been too far for God. There is no hopeless case. In fact, those are his specialty. Time and again, we see that God is willing to leave the 99 to pursue the one that needs him most. And I wonder where you're at today. Not only is God willing, but he's able. We see both of those truths in the scripture today. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And there we see his ability. He is mighty to save. There is no demon he can't crush. No darkness he can't illuminate. No past he can't erase. No hopelessness he cannot bring to the light. He is mighty. He always has been, and he always will be. The empty tomb of Jesus Christ declares once and for all that your story isn't over yet. In that passage, we see that he is willing and he's able. I wonder today if you believe that. The simplest question, I ask it all the time. It's really what it comes down to. Today, I'm not asking, are you good enough for God? No, of course not. Neither am I. I never was. I don't even want to pretend to be. The question is not can we make this work? No, we can't. We'll mess it up. Can we fake it till we make it? Absolutely not. Can we impress each other? No, we will let each other down. The question today is this do you trust the heart of God? That's the question of restoration. Dramatic lighting right there. Do you trust the heart of God? Because if you trust him for you, then we trust him for each other, for relationships, and for the city. The beautiful thing about restoration is it doesn't stop with us. The Bible says that we have been rescued so that we can rescue. And we don't do the rescuing, we just really partner with God in the way that he sees the world. We're unwilling to live hopeless ever again. We see every situation and perceive every area of life with a lens of hope to see the future the way God sees the future. When you partner with God in his vision for restoration, the first step is to show up, to be willing to go to the broken places. The second thing is to see what God sees, to see what God sees. And the third is just to say yes to him. He knows what he wants and he knows how to do it. And his glory and his beauty he's included us into this work I wonder today where you stand with all of this this is a great message unless it just stays theoretical I wonder today if there's anybody in this place where it needs to become personal maybe for your own life maybe you've battled week after week if God is real where is he and today he's saying I'm here I'll never leave I've paid the price. I absorbed the pain. I see the hope. I'm writing your future. I won't force it, but you're invited. The door is belief. The door is belief. I wonder if there's someone else here today that God is stirring your heart to partner like never before in areas of restoration. Maybe you walk by broken places in our city and before you've ignored them. And today God is saying, not anymore because if I can't ignore them and I live inside of you, then you can't ignore them. It doesn't mean you have to have all the answers right away, but it means that you are willing to take a step on this journey of restoration. And as long as God gives us birthdays, at birthday 10 and 20 and 30, and as many as he wills, my prayer is that we will exist as a church of restoration, that we will long to see the city the way he sees the city, Here's the great thing about all of this. There's a happy ending. My daughter and I, we always play this game in the car because she gets bored. It's called the ding story game. So the way it starts is we just start the story, whoever does. Once upon a time, there's a girl with long red hair and she went to the forest. And then you say ding and you call someone else in the room. So we actually played on the way to church this morning. And, um, we like to go back and forth and make up outlandish elements of the story. And sometimes giants are involved and dragons. There's always a princess. And, um, one day I think I was just displaying a wicked sense of humor. And I think somebody said, and then they all died the end. And she was like, no, that's not okay. I'm like, wait till middle school. You'll love it. But right now, and she said something so powerful. She said, This story has to have a happy ending. She's right. And yours can. And in Christ, it does. In Christ, it does. <laughs> the Bible says that one day this world will pass away. It's got a shelf life. But there's a kingdom that He's building. And it's beautiful. It's where every tear has been wiped away, every wrong has been set right, every hope has been fulfilled, where joy is full. It's the kingdom of God. And the reason it's so good is because no sin has ever entered there. No sin will ever enter there. And the only people who can go to this kingdom are the people whose sins have been paid for by the work of Jesus Christ, by those who've accepted that gift. And the Bible says that you don't just get to go there as a second class citizen. No, you go there as a member of the family of God, and the Bible says there you will live with him as a co-heir of the son himself. See, when God restores, it's not just to fullness, it's to overflow. I wonder today if you've ever walked into that relationship with Jesus. I want you to know today, it's your choice. It's totally your choice. Our job here is to tell the story and to give the invitation. But if God is real, and I believe that he is, I always invite people to get him in on the conversation. And so to do that, just to give some focus, if you feel comfortable, just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. With your head bowed and eyes closed, I wonder what God is saying to you right now. Maybe you're still dealing with just the actual hurt and pain of the past. Maybe new things are coming to your mind right now. I always recommend to be honest with God. The Bible says you can cast all of that on him, all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Maybe in this moment, you are recognizing and realizing that while you love God, you like this story, you've never come to a place where you've given Jesus your life. You might be asking, what does it look like? There's a beautiful passage In Romans 10, that paints a picture. It says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what that means is to make him the king of your life. God, I believe that you're mighty. You get the control of my life. My yes is on the table. The second thing the passage says is to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's saying you are the powerful one you're able to overcome any circumstance. The Bible says when you come to that place in your life, you give your life to Jesus. That is the moment you become a new citizen of a new kingdom that is coming and in little bits and pieces has now come. I wonder if there's anybody today that you would like to take a moment and make Christ the king of your life. tell them in your heart as honestly as you can. I wonder if there's anybody else in this moment that God is breaking your heart for areas of brokenness around you. Maybe it's a broken relationship that has been so painful for so long and today you're gonna trust God for hope. Maybe it's a broken situation that you encounter on a regular basis and today you're gonna trust God for hope. I'm praying that in this moment, Jesus will speak Jesus will move. Last week, I gave an invitation to follow Christ in baptism. If that's something you'd like to do, then afterwards, please come up and tell one of our leaders. We're going to have a prayer team. Please tell a member of our prayer team. Please indicate on your action card. Keep the conversation going. We exist to walk with you, to walk with you to God, to become disciples who follow, tell, grow, and multiply. Let me pray for us, and then we'll have some music together as we reflect on what Jesus is doing. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are good. Thank you that your vision for our lives is complete. It's full. It's beautiful. I thank you that it's not just a vision that you put the action in. That you came. That you lived a perfect life. That you died on the cross. You rose again. You invited us to fullness. So that in our belief, and our response, Yes, we can have this fullness. In the name of Jesus, I pray If there are people here today that need to do that. They would do it right now. That they would tell someone. That they would follow you, Jesus. That you would transform us and make us new. I pray that we as a church would always look for new ways. To see the broken things with hope. To see your vision of the future. To see the kingdom that is coming. And Jesus, let it come. Let it come. Let it come. We love you. It's in the precious name of Christ we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.